All right. Good morning. It's 5:24, and this is the stream of random. We have the full moon is just getting a little bit smaller on a beautiful sky, with lots of stars to be seen. It is a crisp fall winter morning slightly cold to the touch. Mars can be seen quite far away from the moon. I don't see Venus yet. And the funny thing about Venus is that uh, when I was upstate visiting my dad, I saw the um, that Venus would always rise in the east with the sun. So I would see her early before the sun rose and you could use that as also an orientation. <clears throat> so that's kind of neat. I was uh, watching some YouTubes yesterday on introverts and they're talking about four types of introverts. Social introverts have small groups of people around them, not large ones, and they could seem like extroverts, but they really are that way in their small group, and that's really how I feel most of the time, so I guess I'm a social introvert. And, uh, All types of um, all types of stuff to study on introversion. So we might have to uh, listen some clips on that. But this is our intro segment, our opening statement. We actually do have a pattern on this podcast. Now, I came up with. came up with the um, idea of using URL encoded JSON, but yesterday I tried the query string encoded JSON. Much more readable, much more beautiful. So you go to compacted JSON LD. And then you query string and code that. And that gives you a nice, <clears throat> that gives you a nice readable URL. I mean, it's not completely readable. We could make some shortcuts to make it more readable. But uh, in any case, <clears throat> it is human readable if you try. Um, without decoding it, as opposed to the um, escaped URL encoding of pure JSON, which is less readable and more verbose. So I think um, that's what we're going to go with. And I put in some um, source code into the 
I'm going to keep it as escaped RDFA. Because I don't feel like changing the name. But it's not really escaped RDFA anymore, but it's quoted RDF. I mean, I got the project. Um, and I suppose I could just, we'll worry about that later. Rename things. Project's evolving. Maybe the name was too specific. But, um, so people who have knowledge of the situation have asked me, why do I do this podcast? And I realize, why now? Well, first of all, inside of the social distancing, it provides me with a social function. One that's just right for me. I get to talk to people. And they can just ignore me. So talking to the wall. Like Steve Jobs. Just putting my gloves on. So that's kind of nice. And I have a recording of it so I can say, look. There I am talking to the wall about this topic. And you guys be like, what the hell is he talking about? Screaming at my TV set. So, I do feel that um, it's serving me an important outlet during the corona. And, hey, we have come up with some good ideas on this walk. And um, we've talked about them first instead of um, just coding them. So we actually have the very moment that we came up with the idea. It's all recorded and how the idea came up. That I came up with the idea. It's all documented on this podcast. So you can hear the wheels of the idea churning. And uh, we can refer back to this very moment in time when it happened. Which is kind of cool. In case you ever wanted to know how something happened. And I never really... was into documentation and speaking to people and make myself understandable. And um, this podcast has even gotten me going to Toastmasters. Now, yesterday we listened to the speech dude, a uh, speech um, teacher talking about what's what's good and bad about Toastmasters. So he said that what's wrong about Toastmasters is it's got so many rules and that people are learning the rules first instead of getting practice and that creates blockages 
is that you have to free up your blockages because speaking is a natural human action. And by creating too many blockages, you're inhibiting that action. You're crippling it. You should learn the rules after you've practiced where you can adopt them after you've developed some skills, some, let's call them, unsupervised training versus supervised training. So, <clears throat> that's something interesting. So uh, what's next? Well, it's also my therapy session and I'm getting a lot of stuff out. I'm also communicating with family, but uh, yeah, Toastmaster. So he was saying that it creates blockages and um, it's got too many rules and too much judgment. Um, and then on the positive side, he said that it's got some rules, but it gives people a place to practice and it gives them a society, a supportive group to practice speaking in and a live audience. So, um, yeah, imagine holding this talk in front of a live audience. And I can see you're already cringing in your seats, like, oh God, it's him again, talking to himself. Oh my God. Turn it off now. Well, I don't get that feedback directly, except through the fact that when I do my solo cast, no one listens to them. They're like, I don't want to hear this. <sighs> That's okay. I understand. So what we're going to do is we're going to do like a monthly uh, roundup, like a best of. <clears throat> and get some of the funniest clips and clean them up. <sighs> All right. But in any case, got to do my walks, and I'm really benefiting from those. So whatever else, we're getting our health, we're getting our movement out in, and everything else is secondary. Getting away from the keyboard, having our eyes adjusted to nature, getting fresh air, moving our body. And I do think that walking is really a whole body experience. And I would really miss it. I guess driving, well driving isn't a whole body experience. Not the same.
Uh, yeah. I don't know too much about this to speak on it authoritatively. But, uh, I left a chat group yesterday. One that I really enjoyed. It was actually the No Agenda chat group on Telegram. And it was just overrun by trolls, Nazi trolls, who were posting and saying really offensive things. I said to the moderators, you know, it's them or me. And they didn't respond, so I left. Like we had a little nice community there, and then all of a sudden, these trolls show up and they start just posting crap nonstop. I think they might be bots. I said they're uh, nether bots. They could be humans, though. But, uh, it's a shame. Real shame. And obviously, those are the type of people who feel emboldened uh, by Trump and by any idea of populism. And, um, sure, freedom of speech is great, but I don't want to hear their speech and get trolled. So, freedom of association, I just leave. You know, what am I going to do? Speaking about Trump, he held an epic uh, talk yesterday, 45 minutes, the most important speech he said of his life, of his presidency. And he actually laid everything out for the people to hear what the cases are. Um, he had diagrams, and it was quite good. So I'm happy that uh, he's taking a stand in public and presenting this finally. And I guess they needed to get everything together for this, um, for these different, uh, three different states have held hearings, and the first one was held in a courthouse, I think it was in Arizona, or was that, no, I'm getting them all confused, maybe it was Wisconsin was held, I don't know, Michigan, in any case, Things are moving along, the wheels are grinding slowly. Um, and then there's the CNN tapes you gotta listen to, where they talk about the media's plans for censoring. There's some good stuff out there to listen to. I see, I see uh, Venus. Yeah, look at these deer. And they don't have no clothes on these deer. They're just running around in the cold. things on the concrete food desert they need to get to the grass 
so uh, yeah. That's the story, kids. And um, oh, my son has discovered on his own the calculator. Um, and he's using the calculator in school to check his math results. And I didn't even show it to him. And I thought, damn, kid, that's pretty damn good. I'm proud of you. Just don't tell his teacher. I don't think he's allowed to use calculator in first grade. But, I mean, more power to him if he discovers this on his own. <clears throat> Everyone's got to find their, uh, their crutches, let's say. So, um... got the, uh, everyone's got like a different mental makeup. We talked about introversion. It's a lot of other parameters. Introversion is just a uh, classification. I'm sure uh, Harry Chicken is going to have a lot to say about this because he studied some psychology. Mmm, that coffee's good. Yeah, I don't know what we're going to talk about today, and I don't think we're going to uh, continue much longer. This is like the intro segment. So intro segment is over, kids. And now we're going to take a break. We're going to think about things. And we're going to come back when we have something important to say. When the floodgates are opened. Because right now we're just going to think. And I hope you have some thinking time too. You also have to like, give your listeners some time to think, you know? That's what these filler words are also for. So, uh, let's uh, put this thing on pause. Okay. Well, I've been listening to, um, Charlie Kirk show, talking to Mr. Metaxas, 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 the uh, fight to expose the fraud explained, let me see, with Eric Metaxas on the Eric Metaxas show, and they're giving an analogy, <clears throat> they said, um, why is it that um, people aren't talking about this, uh, the fraud, um, and the, and the criminal network that's behind this whole system of the election uh, rigging. And, um, <clears throat> he said, Charlie said, well, here's an analogy. If you were to go to 1960s Boston and tell them that there was a vast network of priests abusing children, and they, the Vatican knew about it, the bishop knew about it, and they were being covered up, and they even had lawyers to protect them. <clears throat> if you were to go there, they would just uh, frown on you and tell you to go to confession. And Metaxas said, well, what if you went to someone 
before the communist revolution in Russia and told them that your country is going to be turned into the most evil place where Christians and Jews were going to be sent to uh, to gulags for thinking the wrong thoughts. And, uh, damn. Well, you know, that's kind of scary. I was thinking yesterday, I was hearing about the Supreme Court ruling that uh, Jewish people were uh, won a Supreme Court case against COVID restrictions on religious grounds, and that people were screaming at them, telling them, telling them that they're not Jewish for um, exercising their right to religion. So that was uh, kind of interesting. Some people have to stand outside and smoke. I just saw a smoker standing outside their house. So I was thinking, I was trying to make that connection that, um, you know, you're allowed to protest, allowed to burn things down, you're allowed to celebrate Biden, but you're not allowed to celebrate your religion. And maybe this um, COVID thing is really like a communist revolution. And it all kind of ties together. But I'll tell you, Charlie and Eric, why I am not out on the street protesting. Because my protest is working on my bunker. My protest is buying silver and gold. My protest is raising some chickens and getting ready for whatever happens. I mean, what am I going to do? Um, I think our idea for the um, ombudsman person, the internet ombudsman, with the blockchain, that is definitely something we can do to help out in the future. But at this point, I'm not really in the position. And plus, I live in New Jersey, which is probably one of the most corrupt states of them all in terms of the Democrat machine. I'm living in the capital, Trenton. So, I mean, what am I going to do? I'm living behind enemy lines. But um, I don't think it's that bad here. People leave us alone in terms of politics, and um, it's more of a suburban-type atmosphere as opposed to a rural one. <clears throat> but they're definitely bringing up some very scary points. And, um, you know, that's the other thing, is that people don't want to live in fear or entertain these scary ideas. Um, because, well, one, what are we going to do about it? Um, and two, you know, are we going to get ourselves worked up into a frenzy? I myself feel detached from this whole thing. You know, there's certain things we can deal with, certain things we can do. I guess they're more talking about people in power. Or people who have influence. Well, I knew, I do know that some people are screaming about it. I've been sampling some of the shoot stuff. And it's like the same crazy stuff that used to be on YouTube that got banned. And, um, marginal content, really. 
And I can understand why they don't want this stuff on YouTube, some of it. Um, but on the other side, there's some good material in there. You gotta take the good with the bad, you know? The yin with the yang. It's like, who are you to decide what material is allowed? Now, Trump said, this is just crazy stuff. I don't know if you hear all this. Trump said that he's going to require that Section 230 is removed. Um, or he's not going to sign some huge bill. He's going to block some huge bill. Section 230 is like the protection of the internet companies <clears throat> from libel. So, that's interesting. <clears throat> that also means that I better get all my shit backed up off the internet. Um, it's like, where's it gonna end? Where's it gonna end? Because even if you just buy a server, is that server company going to have to be liable for what you host there? If they don't have Section 230? Like, where are you going to park your data? So I'm not sure that it's going to work out and that we actually have a solution for this. But I guess... He's shots fired over the bow. I mean, at least they're going to engage in a some discussion. They're going to engage in some discussion. Yeah, so these are some pretty big topics, and um, I'm not the best person to uh, to talk about them, really. Uh, but I thought I might well just bring up some of them, just in case uh, you haven't heard of these and you want to do some research on your own. And um, I'm going to continue listening to this Charlie Kirk show, and then I'm going to listen to some Mark Levin, because Mark actually gives the best legal analysis that I've heard so far. He has quite the mind. And um, you might not like, you know, his attitude, which is very far right. But he gives a really good presentation of the legal stuff. <clears throat> and I suggest you uh, sit through it. You should also listen to the best of the left. But I find that his mind is working better than most of the leftist. Okay. All right. So the next point here is we're talking about money and resources. So my idea with the escaped RDFA or the embedded RDF in, in everywhere, um, or 
and attributes. Let's just say attributes, attribute href. So we could just re uh, we could just re uh, purpose that name to uh, embedded RDF a RDF in attributes or escaped encoded. But uh, embedded semantic web data. If we're able to um, do that, we're going to change how all of these internet company, uh, internet semantic webs are going to work. So it's more than linked data, right? It's that you can put these links in Twitter and just set up a feed. You can put these links in chat. They're just links. Um, and most people don't censor links. I mean, some places do. And if you censor the links, then, well, hey, we're going to provide a way to escape the links multi-layered into text. Um, we talked about that. The point is that this technology is going to allow for a semantic, federated semantic web to occur where um, you can point at either individual tweets to create a bunch of statements and say, okay, well, this tweet, this tweet, this tweet, this tweet, this tweet, or starting at this time to this time, um, this person has tweets that have this embedded RDF in it. But it could be posted on face Facebook, public Facebook pages, anywhere where you can put data, you can put these this metadata, and then we'll have a way to register it, and then we can create aggregators that will pull it. So everyone can pull it from the Raspberry Pi and just suck the data in from these public sources, and. Um, That's uh, that's what's going to happen. So um, I've been dreaming about this for a long time, and we could create open street maps. And the great thing is, is that uh, even on a web page with some limited RSS, with some limited JavaScript, you can pull in, let's say, a list of links. And we can bundle them. So if I collect uh, 5 or 20 links, uh, I can create a new link that has those 5 or 20 links embedded in it group them together. And we can get bigger and bigger groupings, uh, which are bundles and selections, um, so that you just have one link, you resolve that, it gives you five other links, you resolve them, it gives you five other links, you keep on resolving them until you get all the data. And we could also um, split it geographically or by time and say, well, 
this section of links is before this time, this section of links is after this time, or this section of links is for this geographic location. So we could create kind of decision trees that you could make. So you could basically link lists and tree structures in the semantic web for bundling this data together, packaging it up, um, or you just create a tweet that has like, you know, 15 links in it. We could use link shorteners. And eventually someone's going to come up with some kind of website for handling this. Maybe we can get it to host it for free. Or use free hosting. If we're doing like a tiny bit of aggregation. It's like seed it with this link. And the way I was thinking about it, I've already thought about this before in the past. Let me just regurgitate this. So if you can start with a seed, it's like follow my Twitter, okay? Or follow my, um, what is it called? Keybase. So follow my keybase, okay? And now, um, then I signed for these, for my Twitter, and I claim it. And then we can start scanning that because I trust, and these are the people who I trust in my network in Keybase, so I'll follow their feeds as well. So if we just start with those URLs, and then at the head of your Twitter or the head of your blog, you could give an overview of what you've got in terms of data. Um, and uh, we're basically going to create a tool, a website, which will host these links. So you're going to link to this website, which is going to decode the RDF for you, that allow you to navigate it and edit it. And then when you hit save, it'll create a new link for you that you can then post somewhere else. So we need a simple little website for hosting these things um, and decoding them. And then well, that website could also f fetch them, fetch the related data, and fetch the links there, um, and pull everything in. All right. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Um, now, this is where we get into the introspector. Well. So now that we have this way of doing it, we can also embed this data inside of a program. So I can create a constant string that contains a link and feed data into the compiler. And I can create a compiler plugin that will interpret that data. 
right? I can create a, a, a blob of data at the head of a uh, program, and this will go into the data section of the program. Um, and it'll give extra meaning and context to what's going on. So when I'm looking at the dumps, when I'm looking at the assembly code, it will have this metadata embedded into the text section or the data section of my code. Like I can load it into a constant string um, <clears throat> in a text section even. So we'll have different ways of placing it in memory and different ways of encoding it. It doesn't even have to be encoded as a JSON blob. It could also be encoded as other bits of data with a way to transform it. But I think by um, allowing you to tag your code <coughs> and uh, we're going to we're going to get into stuff that is visible to the compiler only, but not visible at runtime, versus we want to actually embed something at runtime into the memory, into text. So we're going to have to be able to place this data, these signatures, um, specifically. So we're going to have one way to embed the data into uh, your runtime, one way to embed it into the text segment, one way to embed it into the data segment, one way to put it into the just available in the compiler and then um, also some that's only embedded in the comments that gets stripped away by the compiler but it's available to Doxygen. So we have four different levels of embedding um, <clears throat> in your code and then we can put other bits of data, metadata in your headers, in your readmes, in your git repositories, in the about, um, badges, wiki pages, we can put links into wikis, so we could put this everywhere. I'm getting quite excited about this. thinking we're going to want different um, attributes in the URL, maybe, to say what type of data it is, uh, different paths, but also that could be in the query string. We could do this, um, we could host JavaScript, so when you load up the URL it does a whole bunch of JavaScript loading. On that web page, and allows you to. Uh, and I guess we're going to need JavaScript uh, plugins for the browser extensions. Okay. And the equivalent PHPs. Okay. So this is all good. I like it. And then finally, we're going to be able to get to the level of declaring data types and structures.
like OWL owls. And linking things. So, and this is where we get into syntax. So, we can embed some type of constant strings into uh, fields. Like, how do you mark up your fields in C, C++? Well, you can use macros. But um, also we can tag things. We can create some kind of special tag. And these tags can be marked up so we can create some language specific indicator and then mark that up specially. And then create a plugin that would look for those indicators and then expand them and create the metadata as needed. So there's all types of ways that we can swing this. We're going to create some plugins for the compilers. <clears throat> yeah, and then this is all going to fit together. Okay. It's all happening right here on the stream of Random Podcast. Can you believe it? We're finally breaking through the ice. Ice, ice baby. I remember I made these ice cubes where we just froze the uh, the graphs into arrays in memory, blocks of data, encoding them into an array. So the QR code is more valuable because it gives you multiple bytes. It turns one bit into multiple bits so that you have error correction, so that the image can be resized. All right. Well, that's a pretty good brain dump right there. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening. That was a good segment. Okay, one more idea that I'm going to put out here is that how can we make this generically useful for um, any program? Well, programs, if we create a, a signature that's easy to search for, Now, a byte is not enough information, but like 64, a word, or like in, on a 64-bit machine, if we create like a unique 64-bit number that we inject into the memory of the program that we can just scan and look for it, okay, it might even get split up into multiple bytes, but we'll have different patterns for looking for it. So for a given program, um, <clears throat> we can then inject these numbers into, let's say, source code or input data of a program. 
and then we can scan through the memory and look for them and then use that to identify locations and give meaning to surrounding locations based upon source code or assembly language and so forth. But those could be the starting points of markers for um, searching and understanding the internals. Like, if you go to the doctor, they make you swallow like radi radioactive fluid and then they, uh, they x-ray you, whatever, and they can see the, how it flows through your body or some shit like that. Yeah, so that's going to be the next step where um, we're going to create like a table and say, okay, this URL has this signature, and this signature is like a number that's long enough to be unique that we can just inject in as bytes or, or words or whatever that's long enough. We're gonna have to do some experiments of how long this number has to be and you know how we're gonna search for it. But uh, that could be a very good trace function. And um, then we can couple that with some kernel level tools and utilities. And uh, we could also put like certain bits of the trace number will tell, like, instruct the program where to look. It's like, look to the left to, like, maybe we could encode information into the bits itself. Uh, maybe uh, if we feed it enough URLs and it compiles that list and it knows exactly what to do, That the, the bits could include in, be encoded as a program. You've got 64 bits. That's 64 switches that you could have in a decision tree that's pretty big for what the uh, code might mean. And you could even say, oh, well, two of these bits are basically opcodes, and these are parameters, and you could parse those bits out with, with bit masks interpret them and you could have multiple if you need a double two instructions you could just put two bits of input in there and these could be used for identifier names or for input values or anything so that was one of the ideas that I had is to go in and replace all variables with these unique things and then regurgitate the source code To make them unique. <clears throat> and then to get to the next point of being canonical, like instead of having a unique ID, you could replace it with a canonical ID. So like this is the main routines. This is the main routine. Or this is the parameter, the argv to the main routine, like these are like well-known semantic things. Um, 
You know, this is a function, this is the first parameter to the function. This is a string parameter. So I guess that's kind of like a Hungarian notation. So we could make a, a digital Hungarian notation and uh, slap those letters or numbers in front of the identifiers. Changing the source code. So yeah, the really the question is going to become like how do you inject this information into the code? And uh, basically, you're going to want to uh, take a version of the code, mark it up, then compile that information down, understand how the code works, and then when you get introduced to a new version of the code, you want to be able to apply that markup automatically to the new version so that you can mark it up and then just be left with the parts that are new that need markup. So you want to be able to have to teach a program to apply this to something else. Yeah, boy, we are really getting into this today. Well, I told you guys I would stay away from this topic for a while. And now I'm back with a vengeance. But I hope it's uh, more concise and understandable because we learned something. We found ourselves. We found ourselves. That's right. We found our purpose and our voice. It might not be what you like or what you want. But hey, it is what it is. And we're going to move forward with it. I'm really liking this. Okay. Well, that's it for this segment. Let's continue listening to some podcasts. All right, and now we can finally get to the final idea of OpenStreetMap in micro RDF or embedded RDF. Got my shopping down here, my shopping bags. I'm just adjusting the bags. I'm almost done with my walk. So, the um, OpenStreetMap data is uh, XML. It can be represented as JSON. You got GeoJSON. So you have a JSON representation. Now, when we have a change set or an edit, and um, we want to change an existing something, we can represent that. Um, also in JSON, I'm sure. So all of this can be embedded into this micro format. 
And we might need multiple tweets. We have to explore what the maximum tweet size is. But what I'm thinking is, is that we can create an image of the map area that we changed and then have a link and that link will contain all of the change data um, now also we want to have like an SVG map so maybe that was going to require some more work but I think we can embed the SVG map in a link as well like actually embed the vector data in the links and have multiple links um, and maybe we have to do smaller renderings or tiles so we're going to have a map tile that's small enough to contain all of the change data all of the uh, SVG data or vector data as well now the colors can be included in the PNG so we might actually just be able to get away with coordinates we're gonna to have to look at how we can reduce this all but I'm thinking that by having an image that we could put in social media and a link or two that contain all the data we could get away with embedding OpenStreetMap data in blogs or in social media um, and we can sneak it in there and uh, this is going to be amazing and I was thinking like if you want to change something you could reference the previous tweets or previous social links or linked data and this is really going to turn into a whole web and people are going to be replicating data between social networks it's like I read these tweets over here I bundle them together and I reissue them on my network so we can create replicas change sets um, <clears throat> some things that you care about you can copy into your networks make sure that they're actually um, stored so I think this whole LinkedIn linked data linked JSON is going to be quite exciting I'm, I'm very excited about it and it can be applied to all different types of venues and also like the schema we're going to create examples for schema.org and then rendering see this is where we're going to get, it's going to get really nice because we can render it to an image for embedding so you can create a, a link to my target website and that could have the HTML generated but I could also generate an image for you that you can embed in social media so um, we're gonna have a lot of fun with this micro formats and then we're gonna also be able to declare new micro formats declaratively in tweets on LinkedIn this is going to be a great expanse of, um, of metadata and semantic web that has never happened before because people haven't had the liberty just listen to Mark Levin he's talking about liberty like 
the freedom without interference to declare data types and share data. I mean, that's what we're really talking about here. Um, and damn, that feels good. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. That's a good song. So, um, yeah, my walk is over, but this is a very good walk. And I think we've actually, we're going to um, declare this one to be really like the purpose of this podcast, like a dedication to liberty. Um, the purpose of this podcast episode, at least, is the celebration of liberty as the ability to exercise and express yourself to declare types of data and new forms of data and to share them with people without interference. And that's what we're doing here on this podcast. All right. Thank you very much and see you. We might have an episode this afternoon, actually, a special episode with Harry Reid. So looking forward to that. Oh, the chickens. The chickens. I'm going to go say hi to the chickens. Hold on. Because I know you guys love to hear from the chickens. That's the dog. That's the guard dog. The chickens got a guard dog, even. Hey, chickies. Cheepy cheeps. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? Cheepy cheepy cheep cheep. I think they missed me. All right. See you later.